episode 37 of the Online Chicken School podcast. On today's show, we're talking about dust bathing for your chickens and what's the best kind of coop to use for broilers. It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your school. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. Doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. Okay, I want to start off the show today by mentioning that we have a new addition to the family. That's right. This last week, my sister had a cute little baby boy named Brody. This is our second nephew, so I'm so excited. My side of the family, it's all girls. So we finally got another little boy um, to balance it out a little bit. And uh, our first nephew, Brayden, lives up in North Carolina with my other sister, so we don't get to see him very often. But Brody is right here in town, which is great because hopefully soon we can put him to work on our chicken farm. That's right. So welcome to the world, Brody. Make sure you grow up big and strong because we have a lot of work for you to do. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so we have a couple stories in the chicken news that we want to cover today. Our show tends to be a little focused on the news that happens here in the United States because, well, that's where we live. (laughs) But we do have quite a few listeners in other countries such as Australia Canada and the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the UK is where this exciting story comes from. And I like the story because we tend to think that young people doing really stupid things is just an American phenomenon. But this story shows that we don't have the lock on that type of thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Our international story of bad behavior involves Jack Walker. And Jack is a 21-year-old college student at Leeds University, where he studies business. And you think a business student might possess some reasoning, maybe some decision-making skills? But not necessarily. No. Jack's out driving with a friend one day, and they just happen to see a chicken walking around all by herself. And in Jack's own words, we were driving around and we saw a chicken. And thought it would be really funny Uh if we stopped and put her in the car. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, so what's more fun than having a chicken running loose in your car? Well, maybe having two chickens running loose in your car. Jack continues by saying, when we stopped, we noticed another chicken, too. So we took that one as well. Okay, I want to point out here that there are two very good reasons not to have chickens running loose in your car. (laughs) And I'm not going to bother going into reason number one, because I want to focus on reason number two. Number two is the reason you don't want chickens running loose in your car. That's right. Because if you have chickens, you know they certainly produce a lot of number two. (laughs) Now, when I was in college, I did not exactly have a reputation for keeping my car clean and spotless inside. Me neither. Well, you still don't. Well, that's true. (laughs) It drives my dad crazy whenever we go over there. He just always looks at the car and goes, oh, Sue. I know. (laughs) Uh, I pretty much drove around with an impressive collection of fast food restaurant bags and condiment packets. (laughs) But the one thing I could always say is that at no point whatsoever did my car ever have chicken poop in it. Oh, me too. I can say that. Good. Okay, so we have Jack and his friend, and the article didn't give us the friend's name, so I'm going to call him genius number two. You said number two. (laughs) And apparently they're getting a little hungry, like all teenage boys, so they decide to drive into the nearest McDonald's drive-thru, and they order their food at the speaker, and they pull up to the window number one and pay their food, and then they pull up to window number two. You said number two again. To receive their food, and this is where things get really interesting. Yes, it is, because when the McDonald's employee opened up the window to hand them their food, they decided to throw one of the chickens through the window into the McDonald's at the employee. Now, I used to work at fast food. That had to be heck of a surprise. You open the window, you get ready to hand out the food, and here comes a chicken flying at your face. Yeah, you can work at a McDonald's a very, very long time and hopefully 
never see a live chicken come flying at you through the drive through window. Yeah, I hope so. I'm just still amazed. I can't believe that somebody would do this. I mean, like, what were these boys thinking? Okay, well, first, let me explain something about young men. Mm-hmm. There is no thinking involved at all, okay? <laughs> uh, in fact, I believe it's a medically known fact that in males, the brain never actually connects to the rest of the body until much later. Oh, okay. So everything is basically just impulse. Really? Yes. It's a fact. <laughs> now, where did you get your facts from? The internet. Oh, that means it's definitely true. <laughs> yes. They can't put it on the internet if it's not true. Well, I have a question then. Okay. Um, what age do men grow out of this stage if they start it pretty young? Well, everyone's different, but let's say most by age 45. Oh my gosh. So you've <laughs> only got a year left to go. That sounds about right. Wonderful. All right, but in all seriousness, when you are young, you know, sometimes you just get an idea and you act on it absolutely immediately without thinking. And then instantly you regret doing it. You know, you just, you do something and immediately you say to yourself, I really, really should have done that. Mm -hmm. That happens to me sometimes in traffic. I bet. (laughs) But these boys, they don't have that level of self-evaluation because now they're driving around laughing hysterically about throwing the chicken through the drive-thru window. And at some point, either Jack or genius number two, Uh, looked at the other one and said, hey, you know, we have another chicken. Right. So these two brainiacs drive to another McDonald's. Because they're on every street corner here. I can only imagine over there it's the same thing. Yeah. And they go through the drive-thru and they do the exact same thing all over again. My gosh. You know, I wonder what the odds are that adult beverages may have played a role in this. (laughs) My guess would be better than average. Yeah. So... In the UK, chickens are actually protected under the Animal Welfare Act of 2006. So using them in pranks like this could actually be viewed as a criminal offense. And they have an organization over there called the RSPCA. And by the way, that's one of my favorite Aretha Franklin songs. (laughs) What is? RSPCA. Find out what it means to me. Anyway, (laughs) the RSPCA took the poor little hens and the article said that the officer that showed up actually kept one of the chickens for his own and named her Nuggets. Oh, isn't that nice? That's very nice. Well, both these hens are lucky in one very important way. Okay, how's that? Uh, No other chickens have ever gotten this close to a McDonald's (laughs) and lived to cluck about it. (laughs) That's probably true. In any case... They are pioneers. (laughs) In any case, we should probably mention that you should never try this at home. Yes, even if you have a wicked practical joking gene, okay, now it's been done, so it's not original. That's right. Move on. That's right. Good advice. Okay, moving on to other news. As you can imagine, the meat industry has to be really concerned about foodborne illnesses that can be passed on through meat products, such as chicken. Mm-hmm. And as it is now... 48 million Americans get sick every year from contaminated foods. That is a lot of people. That's a whole lot of people. Like 15% of the population each year. And of that group, 128,000 require hospitalization. And 3,000 people actually die just from the food they eat. That's every year. And of all the foodborne illnesses... Salmonella is the one that kills the most number of people. Well, the USDA sets standards for the chicken industry here in the U.S., and they require that less than 7.5% of chicken they process contain salmonella. 7.5 is okay. 7.6, no. That always cracks me up. It's like when you read those stories how, you know, a can of mushrooms can have 12 maggots in it. Like, 12 maggots is fine. You can sell it. If it has 13 maggots, suddenly you kick it off the shelf. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty gross. I wonder who has to count that. Ew. (laughs) And when you think about that number, the average family eats the equivalent of 50 chickens each year, which means you buy four chickens with salmonella every year, year after year. Isn't that a nice thought? All right, so here's where the news story comes in. Until recently, the USDA inspectors only checked whole chickens for salmonella uh, to make sure that factories met that 7.5% standard. The problem is... People don't really tend to buy whole chickens anymore. You're much more likely to buy chicken that has been cut up into individual parts or ground chicken. Mm -hmm. And the USDA just doesn't check that stuff. (laughs) Why would they? It's not like it's chicken. Oh, wait, it is. 
But then there was one food manufacturer that had a pretty big salmonella outbreak. And when the USDA investigated, they found that it was the chicken parts and the ground chicken that were the problem. So this started this lengthy study into chicken parts and ground chicken. And I got to tell you, the results, pretty shocking. Yes, you might want to sit down for this one. (laughs) Or if you're listening in the car, you might want to pull over. Mm -hmm. If you're eating a chicken sandwich, you might want to put it down. (laughs) For a long time. (laughs) Because they found that across the entire industry, it's not specific to one uh, manufacturer. This is just across the entire industry. The average contamination for cut-up chicken parts was 25% or one out of every four. And it gets worse. You think 25% is pretty gross? If you buy ground chicken, which we do, the contamination rate is 50% or one of every two. Yeah, that's a little higher than the 7.5 number. Mm -hmm. And no one thought to check this before. So you want to pick up that chicken sandwich now? (laughs) Well, the reason we bring it up is that this topic always seems to work its way into the backyard chicken keeping debate. People who don't want you to have backyard chickens, they claim that you're going to end up giving everybody in the neighborhood salmonella because of your couple chickens in your backyard. And these same people, they bring salmonella into their own home voluntarily every week or so by getting chicken from their local grocery store. That's right. And another thing is you don't only get salmonella from chicken anymore. I mean, how many outbreaks have we had in the last couple of years with getting salmonella from peanut butter, right? spinach, yep. uh, other fruits from milk? That's why I don't eat spinach, by the way. <laughs> That's right. It's just crazy. Yeah, all kinds of vegetables, fruits, like you said, milk, all those things can give you salmonella. It's like one of those old commercials, salmonella. It's not just for chicken anymore. <laughs> Isn't that a nice thought? So the moral of the story is no matter where you get your chicken, please make sure you cook it before you eat it. So no chicken carpaccio? No. How about chicken tartare? No, that's gross. Make sure you cook your chicken. If you cook the chicken to the right temperature, then guess what? You don't have to worry about the salmonella. That's right. Here's another. I learned that the hard way. You know, I really don't mind when people learn lessons from mistakes we've made. I just don't like them when there's something that happened very recently. Mm-hmm. I would rather they be mistakes from the past. Yeah. Unfortunately, our tale of woe for today is very recent. Yes. I was actually hanging out clothes the other day and I heard a commotion over in one of the coops in our front yard. But I ignored it. I figured, ah, that Rhode Island red rooster was getting all randy with his hens and didn't pay any attention. Went back in the house, came back out 20 minutes later to hang out another load of laundry. I heard it again and I went, you know, I really should go over there and see what's going on and maybe give those hens some relief. So your chicken mom radar was going off? It was. It was. But I didn't think I was going to see what I saw. So I go over to the Rhode Island reds coop and I'm like, they're fine. And I go to the next coop, and that's where the commotion's going on. I open the coop door, and what I saw, I really had a hard time processing because both General So and his son Captain So were in the corner of the coop beating the snot out of each other. Now, I think it's important for people to understand that these two roosters are not normally together. No. They never have access to each other, even though they are father-son, because... General So has his coop with his ladies, and Captain So, who just recently got promoted from lieutenant, mm-hmm. he has his own coop with his ladies, and we never let them out together. So they don't socialize. Mm-hmm. So this would be a very odd sight to just try and even process both of them being in the same coop. Well, and I got to imagine, it's like, hey, you look just like me. <laughs> it's, it's like, like a, looking in a mirror. That's right. It's like, oh my gosh. Like your first thought is, let me tell you what's going through the rooster's mind. Okay. First thought is, wow, you are one beautiful rooster. <laughs> and then the second thought is, I'm going to kill you. That's right. I think that's exactly what happened because they were in the corner kicking at each other constantly and they would not stop. Now, one thing I learned is that when roosters are fighting or a rooster is going after something, don't step in front of it. 
really bad idea to walk in the middle of a fight between two roosters. I'd agree with that. Good. But they were covered in blood. So I'm freaking out and Don's not there. So I'm like, what do I do? I grabbed their water bucket, which was right there. And I just dumped it on the both of them like little kids. (laughs) You know, it's just like throw the water on them. I grabbed the one that didn't look quite as hurt, which ended up being Captain So, the younger one, and put him outside the coop and then locked the general in since he really appeared to have a lot more severe injuries. And during this time, I was actually working way in the backyard. This is going on in the front yard. I was way in the backyard as far back as you can get in our little workshop. And Susie's dad and her uncle were over and we were replacing the little pedestrian door on the workshop. I say I should say they were replacing the pedestrian door in the workshop. <laughs> and supervising. I, was, I was making wisecracks and <laughs> handing tools. Yes, they love that. <laughs> and so then Susie comes flying up on the golf cart and she is just white as a sheet. And I could tell right away that, you know, something was not right. And she's coming up and I look at her like, what's going on? And she's just shaking her head. No. And I'm like, oh, great. What happened? Somebody died. Yeah. So I'm just like, hop on. Let's go. So we go flying up to the front and we go into the coop that has the general in it. He's locked in there by himself and grab him, bring him into the garage to assess what his injuries are. So thankfully, we had our chicken first aid kit. Because we really needed it. Mm-hmm. So while I kind of held the general in place to keep him from running around, Susie went and grabbed the first aid kit, which was nice because all the stuff we needed was in one place. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to go grab this and then, oh, let's, we also need this. So then you got to run and grab that. Everything we needed was just in one little bucket. Very easy to get to. Susie dumped it out on the garage floor and we started to clean him up. Yeah. I mean, his comb actually had skin hanging. He, he really got hurt bad. I mean, he was covered in blood, had blood all over his face. His beak was dripping blood. And it's the general. So it's like, we love this rooster. And we know a lot of you guys have said how much you like him, even though you've never met him. So it was ripping our heart out. But we're like, let's dry him off, first of all, get all the blood off. And then we started spraying uh, his wounds, which were actually on his feet as well. Remember, his foot was almost right. cut open. Yep. Um and on his legs and on his face and his comb, we started spraying it down with vetricin. And then once that dried, we put a coating of wound coat over it, which is kind of a purpley color. Um, like a blue coat, except purple. Yeah. And uh, that way it kind of seals the wound. So it stops bleeding. And uh, that seemed to do the trick for him. Then we didn't want the hens picking at anything and opening up any of the wounds. So we said, you know, we really need to kind of separate him from his own hens just for maybe a day or two to sort of let him heal. So we do have two small chicken tractors that sometimes we use and right now we're not using at all. And we keep those in the back. So we took the general back there and kind of just put him in solitary, Mm -hmm. kind of turned it into the infirmary tractor. That's right. And let him heal back there by himself. Mm-hmm. Now, he might have been a little nervous, I think, because that's also the coops that I've been using lately as sort of the last night death row housing before <laughs> roosters get the axe. I think he can smell the fear. I don't know. You know, he might have seen some things written on the walls inside that he didn't <laughs> like. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, he was all cleaned up. He had his coating on. We put him back there. And he seemed fine. I checked on him a bunch of times during that day. And what was funny is my uncle and my dad, when we went back there to tell them what happened, they're just shaking their heads like, only you guys. Well, yeah, because we're the ones who have chickens. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) So then we went back up front and we grabbed the captain and he was just fine. I mean, he was actually kind of strutting around, don't you think? I mean, he just kicked his dad's butt. Oh, yeah. He he didn't really have any problems at all. I was worried that he was going to be in the same condition the general was, but actually he was he was pretty fine. But, you know, that just goes to show you the general. He's like more a lover than a fighter. Yeah. The captain, he's both a lover and a fighter. Yeah. He's good at pretty much both of them. <laughs> all right. So once all this excitement calmed down, uh, we're trying to figure out what the heck happened here. How did this happen? I mean, mm-hmm. we're always... Very careful not to have two roosters out in the same area at the same Mm -hmm. time. And our property is really long. So sometimes we'll have a rooster and his ladies out in the front yard and then a rooster and his ladies out way in the back. 
but they're a good thousand feet away from each other. Yeah, they and don't even see each other. Exactly, and they don't really care to run that far to, to stir up trouble. <laughs> no. So, But to have two in the same area that were out at the same time, that just never happens here. So we're trying to figure out how, how could that have happened? Because we definitely don't want it to happen again. This is way too traumatic to repeat this. So what we figured out was that the day before we had had one of our hands-on chicken classes, and that usually ends with a tour of our chicken coops and people you know, can open up the doors and look inside, see how we built things, how we lay them out and get some ideas for how they want to do their chicken coops. And the problem is that usually wraps up sometime around 1.30 mm-hmm. in the afternoon. You know, it's about a long Saturday. And then everybody leaves. And then we're kind of in a rush to put the chickens back where they go. The ones we use for the hands-on training are back in the workshop still. So we have to bring them out, put them in the coops they belong in, mm-hmm. close everything up and and I'm usually pretty hungry by this point, yeah. so it's getting to be two o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't eaten yet. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty anxious for us to zip everything up and go to lunch. That's right. And I think the problem is the general's coop has a door on the front and a door on the back. And I looked at the one on the front and it was closed and latched. And I saw the one on the back and I saw it was closed. I didn't bother to walk around the other side and make sure it was actually latched. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened is it was closed, but nobody threw the latch. And therefore, the next day on Sunday, one either him or one of his ladies bumped into the door. It opened a little bit, and he realized, hey, the door's actually open. That's right. And that's how he got out and took a little walk. And I had let the captain out earlier that day because I was going to be outside, and I just love seeing him run around. So I let him and his ladies out. So whammo slammo, two roosters out at the same time. Mm-hmm. All right, so what are the little lessons we need to learn from this happening? First... Don't assume just by looking that your coop door is secure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't be lazy like I was. (laughs) Actually go put your eyeballs on it. Make sure the latch is secured and give it a little tug to make sure it's actually locked. Mm -hmm. And that's not just if you have roosters. You're going to want to do this when you lock them up at night to make sure that no predators can get in. You want to make sure that that door is actually latched and closed. Mm -hmm. And also, if you hear a commotion... Stop what you're doing and check it out. I mean, I had a funny feeling the first time I heard it and I ignored it. So never again. And then the third thing to take away from this is if you haven't already, get that first aid kit stocked and accessible because, you know, we were strutting around. We just finished our chicken class. So we're strutting around all Saturday afternoon thinking we're pretty good at this chicken stuff. And then something bad happened. Right. And it was a Sunday. So the closest farm store to us is closed on Sunday. So if we wouldn't have had what we needed, we would have had to drive way into town and it would have taken a heck of a lot of time to get back and start treating his injuries. Yeah. And who knows what would have happened? I mean, I don't know how close he was. I'm not saying he was right on death's door, but if he had lost more blood, then things could have been much more serious. Absolutely. So if you haven't already, Get your first aid kit stocked and put it somewhere where you know it is so that if there is an emergency, you can grab it immediately and take care of the situation. And in case anyone's wondering, both the captain and the general have made a full recovery and are doing just fine. Well, you asked for it. Here it is. Okay, our first email today comes from Jennifer in Georgia. She says, I absolutely enjoy your podcast. It has been an invaluable source of information as I begin my journey into backyard chickens. I was wondering if you could shed some light on the egg song. One of my ladies sings triumphantly when she lays an egg. The other is silent. Why do chickens participate in the egg song? It does not seem logical to draw attention to the delicious egg she just laid, but I guess everyone is entitled to be proud of their accomplishments. Thanks for any info. Uh, Well, Jennifer, that is a really, really good question. And with 25 hens on our property here, we hear a lot of the egg song every day. And it can get pretty loud because it isn't just the hen that's laying that does the singing. Right. I mean, when one of our hens is laying or is just laid... All of her coopmates seem to join in and sing with her, and even the roosters will follow along. And we have one that just copies exactly right. what like she does. Yes, it is so funny when you hear them all get going. So Jennifer wants to know, why would a hen do this? Okay, well, here's a real simple answer for you. I don't know. <laughs> well, that was helpful. Our next question. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, there's a lot of theories out there, but you know, I don't think anybody really understands why. I, I mean, I've searched and searched, and I can't come up with any conclusions. I don't know that anybody's kind of come to a consensus and said, yep, we definitely think this is why they do it. Uh, it's a fun topic to ponder, but our answers here are going to be a little less scientific and a little more tongue-in-cheek. Um, I agree with you that, you know, if this bird was in the wild and you just laid an egg, something that many predators would love to come and snack on, why on earth would you announce it? Hey, I just laid a nice one over here. (laughs) Well, here's my theory. And it's, I guess it's kind of generous to call the noise they make a song. Um, If you've heard the egg song, I think it's more like an angry noise than like the sweet sound of proud accomplishment. Maybe that's just our (laughs) hens. Um, And when you think about how big those eggs get, I think it's the hen's equivalent of probably giving birth every day. So I think she's just really happy it's over and she survived. Yeah, that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think of it this way. When people try to figure out why an animal does any type of behavior, they always want to go back to like prehistoric times. But what if the egg song really developed more recently? Okay. Say in my great grandfather's time when the chickens are all living on a farm. During that time period, hens that laid eggs kept on living and ones that stopped ended up in the pot. That is true. So I think they're just desperate to get some attention and let the farmer know, hey, just so you know, I laid an egg over here. It was me. I'm earning my keep. Yeah, but why do the other hens join in? Well, you know how it is with any group of workers. You always have someone trying to take credit for everybody else's work. <laughs> They're just attention hogs. I guess. Well, I think hens are just really narcissistic. That could be. Uh, here is a more serious idea. When the hens are out of the chicken tractor, they pretty much tend to stick together. But let's say that when it was time to lay, the hen didn't have the nesting box to go into. So in that case, she would find someplace pretty quiet and private and do her thing. And in the meantime, she really has no idea where the rest of the flock wandered off to. Right. So maybe she's calling out to them to see where they are. And they're like, hey, we're over here. Well, that's a possibility. Maybe. Um, that kind of gives me another idea. You know, our experiences with hens that have been bred not to be broody, or in other words, she very rarely wants to hatch her own eggs. But even in the breeds that are known for going broody, they aren't broody all the time. It's not like every time they lay an egg, they want to hatch it. They kind of go through these phases of wanting to hatch them sometimes and leaving them behind all the other times. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, does a hen sing every time she lays an egg or if she goes broody, maybe does she stop singing? Like, does she sing when she's laying eggs to leave behind? Mm. And then maybe when she decides she wants to hatch them, she doesn't sing that time. Okay, interesting. Again, total guess on my part. What if she's a tricky hen? Oh. And what she does is she lays eggs that she doesn't intend to hatch and she sings really loud and gets the predator's attention and trains them that when they hear the song, there's an egg over here, come eat it. Okay. And then when she wants to hatch the eggs, she doesn't sing. So all those lazy predators don't hear a song and they figure, hey, there's no eggs out there to find, so they don't bother to go look. Mm. Well, this is pretty much just all speculation. We really don't have any facts to back any of this up. (laughs) Very true. Mm -hmm. But my feeling is you should never let facts get in the way of a really good theory. Well, that is true. You love that. (laughs) So anyway, Jennifer, I'm not sure that that helps at all, but there's a couple of good theories there to consider. I don't know if any of them are worth anything, but... It's fun dinner topics. Yeah, it was a good question anyway. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Okay, well, we received a message from David, which I'm hoping we can be a little more helpful. He's in Pennsylvania, and he contacted us through Facebook. And he says, I will have four hens who have an enclosed 40-square-foot run. Should I include a permanent dust bath or portable dust bath bin that I can offer occasionally? I am concerned a permanent dust bath may take up too much real estate in the run, like putting a bathtub in a living room. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Well, David, thank you for that question. Uh, Talking about dust bathing in general, uh, chickens will dig holes in the ground and then start flailing around in it, tossing dirt all over the place. Well, and it's the funniest thing to watch. Um, 
it's actually entertaining once you know what they're doing. But the first time I saw our chickens dust bathing around a tree, it freaked me out <laughs> because thought they had a peanut allergy. <laughs> I thought they were having either a seizure or something's wrong with them because they were actually on their side, kicking with their foot all the way up onto the back of their body. Yeah. I had no idea what was happening. Well, the deal is they're trying to get the dirt down in between their feathers, right down to the skin. And they just want to get all dirt everywhere. And then when they're done with that little process, they'll get up and shake it all off. Well, that is funny, too, because they look like little dogs then. <laughs> and dust baths are very important for chickens. It keeps them clean, which is ironic. I mean, the more dirt they throw around, the cleaner they actually get. Yeah. And it also helps get rid of external parasites like fleas, lice, and mites. And by keeping their feathers in good condition, it helps them keep their ability to regulate their body temperature. Well, for our chickens, we don't offer a separate dust bath bin. Since all of our coops are chicken tractors, they have 24-hour access to the ground. And even though we move the coop every couple days, they always dig a hole that they can use to dust themselves. Yeah, if you go flying through the front yard on the golf cart, you have to be <sighs> careful because you'll sometimes find holes that you forgot or didn't know were there. Well, you can't really see them after a couple of weeks of uh, grass growth you know right. the grass is all at the same height and i'll tell you every time i walk around in our yard i twist my ankle a little bit in a stinking hole yeah i really should fill those in before the grass grows up to be easier yeah. to find that way yeah pretty much you can get on that yeah now the problem is in many places the ground freezes during the winter time so even if there's no snow on the ground the chickens can't claw themselves out a nice little dust bathing hole and that means they don't really have a way to keep themselves clean. Right. And since David lives in Pennsylvania, I would say it's a pretty safe bet. His ground is frozen. <laughs> I'll bet you it is. So if you use pine shavings in your coop, you may find that the chickens are starting to use that to dust themselves with because it's the only thing that they have available. But shavings aren't really great for dust bathing. No, they are not. <laughs> Uh, since the shavings are the collection area for all the chicken poo, mm -hmm. it's actually a pretty disgusting material for dust bathing. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good idea to provide the appropriate dust bathing material for them in the wintertime. And to do this, you want to start off by finding some kind of bin to hold the material. Well, and you'll want to keep the material dry and free from snow if you're up north. Uh, one way to do this is to place the bin inside the coop where it will be protected from the elements. Now, if the coop is small, that's not going to be an option. So if you have to place the bin outside, you're going to want to try and find a bin that has some sort of covering. But it's still going to allow the chicken to get in and out of there when they want to clean themselves out. Right. And one thing we see people use is one of those kitty litter pans that mm -hmm. has the dome over the top. Mm -hmm. And you could find these at just about any pet supply store. The nice thing about those is that the dome can protect your dust bathing material from the weather, but it also keeps the dust material in the bin. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have anything with some pretty high sides on it, a lot of that dirt's going to get thrown out while they're bathing. Right. And if you have a way of preventing it from getting thrown out of the bin then you don't have to add dirt as often. Right. So now we're getting to the point of David's question. He wants to add a dusting bin for the chickens, but his run is 40 square feet and he has four hens. So the rule of thumb for space in the run is 10 square feet per bird, which means David's hens are right at that number and they really don't have any space to spare. And I really like David's analogy. If you put a permanent dusting bin in the run that's already at minimum space, it's like putting a bathtub in the middle of your living room. Yeah. How awkward would that be? <laughs> like, I guarantee you, if you have a bathtub in the middle of your living room, you will never have guests come over more than once. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there doesn't have to be anybody in the bathtub. They just have to see it and go, something weird is going on here. <laughs> I got to go. I'm getting a call. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at some of the options. Uh, you mentioned the possibility of using a portable dusting bath, and you would just kind of put it in the run from time to time, but not keep it in there permanently, so it's not always taking up space in the run. Yeah, but I know with our birds, they each like to dust bathe like once a day, sometimes more. So my concern is with that option, if the bin was only available part-time, 
when they felt that they needed to dust bathe, they might actually start using the coop materials like the pine shavings. And as we mentioned, that is a bad thing. Right. So another option is just go ahead and leave it in there full time. If you figure your dusting bin is probably no more than two feet wide by two feet long, then you're talking about four square feet. And I think that's about as big as you'd want it. You don't need it any bigger than that, especially with only four hands. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 10% of their run space, which is not insignificant, but it's not exactly the end of the world either. Right. That means your birds have nine square feet each instead of 10 square feet. I mean, it's technically less than the minimum rule of thumb, but I'd really rather see them with a little less space than go without a bath for the entire winter. Yeah. And if you've ever had an uncle who didn't take a bath all winter, (laughs) you'd probably agree with that one. Well, I don't know. I grew up in Florida, so we bathed all the time. (laughs) Up north, sometimes people go a little longer. Okay. Not everybody. I'm not, I'm not criticizing our northerners, but (laughs) everybody up north knows somebody who goes a little (laughs) too long without a sprinkle. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Now, if you do go this route, there are some things you can do to help minimize the impact of having a bathtub in the living room, as you say. First, I would make sure that where you place the bin doesn't create any awkward, unusable spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, if you kind of put it one way, it really takes up more space technically than its its own footprint because it it kind of denies use of other space, if you know what I'm getting at there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The best way to avoid that is usually to place it in a corner. Right. Uh, but you're going to have to look at your run and see how it's laid out and, you know, where the doors are and everything and, and see what works best for you. Well, also think vertically. I mean, if your run area has some vertical space to it, you could maybe create a dusting bin that has like a flat roof on it. That way the chickens can hop up on top of it and they can use that space as well. And if you can find a way to make that work, then you really aren't losing a lot of floor space. But be prepared, you are going to have to scrape some bird poop off the top of the thing. (laughs) A lot. Yeah, quite often. But you know what? It's a small price to pay. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a third option you can try. Uh, This one is going to take more work than the other two options, but it would keep the dusting bin from intruding on your run area, and you could keep all of that space just for run. Mm. Uh, Regardless of whether you have a static run or it's a chicken tractor, you might be able to sort of build the dusting bin as an extension to the run rather than placing it inside. And what I mean by that is, you know how some chicken coops have a side saddle nesting box? Mm -hmm. You know, the nesting box isn't inside the coop, but rather it hangs off the side of the coop. Yep, like on ours. Exactly, most of ours. And they can get to it from the inside, but it isn't taking up any floor space inside. Hmm. Uh, What if you tried something similar with a dusting bin? You, know, you sort of create a box that hangs out away from the run and the side that attaches to the run is open so the chickens can go in and out at will. And then you could slide a bin in there of the dusting material. You can change it as often as you need to. And it has a little roof over it to keep the elements out. That that could work. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. The only thing I wonder is if the chickens would think it's a nesting box and maybe use it to probably lay their eggs in. You know, they might. Um... That would be the challenge, I think. You know, hopefully they're used to laying in an egg box with pine shavings and straw, so they would just keep on with that, and this would have dirt in it. So I think they would see it differently, Hmm. hopefully. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It'd be something to try, and I wonder how that would work. Yeah, well, while we're talking about dust bathing, how about we talk about the material that you want to use for them to bathe in? And there's a lot of opinions about this. Now, Living in Florida, our dirt is really sandy, and that's normally a very big negative, like when you're thinking of planting anything. Right. (laughs) But our chickens really love it for dust bathing. Yeah, it works really good. Yeah, and now the ground doesn't freeze here, so they pretty much have it all year round. But if our ground froze and we were going to have to provide some kind of dusting bin for the winter, I would just dig up some of that dirt before it got too cold and save it. Right, because if your local dirt works well and it's what they're used to, I say stick with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you might live in an area where the dirt doesn't work too well for dust bathing. Uh, In that case, you can create your own material 
And you'll probably have to do that all year round then, not just in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Well, another scenario where you might need to create your own dirt is if you live in a residential area and you have a really small, beautiful, <laughs> manicured backyard. Right. Probably not an option to just start digging it up to get your own dirt. So how can you make your own dust bathing material for your chickens? It's actually pretty easy. Just go to your local home improvement store and pick up bags of builder sand or any cheap bag sand they carry. Or you could dig up your neighbor's yard. I'm not sure they'd appreciate that much. (laughs) No matter how many eggs you give them, that's probably not good for neighbor relations. Well, maybe if you asked first, like, hey, your yard looks pretty terrible. Can I just (laughs) dig some holes in it? (laughs) I don't know if I'd start with that. It wouldn't look any worse, you know. (laughs) I don't know if I'd start with that line, but that is the reason we have to give eggs to our neighbors all the time. I would never go do that. (laughs) All right. Well, if you do go the home improvement store route, um, you could either use the sand itself. You can mix the sand in with some local dirt. And you could also take ashes from burnt wood, um, add that, mix it up really good. Yeah. A lot of people like to sort of mix up a combination of their local dirt, Mm -hmm. the ash, And another thing is people love to put diatomaceous earth or DE in the dust bath. And the idea there is that'll really help with the mites, lice, and the fleas and keep them under control. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, we are big fans of the food grade diatomaceous earth, but we really don't like the idea of using it as a dust bath material. I mean, DE is such a fine powdered material, and if you add it to the dust bath, it's going to get all kicked up in the air, and the chickens are going to start throwing it all over themselves. And once it's in the air, they will start to breathe it in, Mm -hmm. and diatomaceous earth is really not good for the lungs. So if for us, we would not add it to their dust bath material, just leave it out. I mean, diatomaceous earth, it's great. We sprinkle some on our chicken feed. Um, When we're topping off the feeders, uh, we'll put it on the roost poles. I mean, we use it a lot, but they aren't really flinging that into the air where they could really breathe it in. So, David, there's a few ideas for you to consider there. Uh, Let us know which way you end up going and let us know how it works. Okay, moving along, we received a very nice review from VT Fisherman, who says, So glad I found this. As a beginner backyard chicken owner, I've been doing a lot of online research but that only gets you so far. Don and Susie cover seemingly every topic I could think of and a lot I wouldn't have, but I'm glad I now know about it. They have a great rapport and complement each other well. Really glad I found this. Well, thank you so much for the review. That was really nice. And we're glad you found us as well. If you want to be like VT Fisherman, you can go over to iTunes and give us a review of your own. And if you don't like the show, Don't feel like you have to go over there and give us a review. (laughs) Just email me instead and I can point you to some other chicken podcasts you might like better. Okay, I want to point out that today's show is sponsored by you. (laughs) That is, if you are one of the people who use our affiliate link to buy things on Amazon.com. That's right. If you go to OnlineChickenSchool.com and click on the Amazon link, it's going to take you right to the Amazon site. You can buy anything you want through Amazon. You're paying exactly the same price. And the only difference is that Amazon will give us a little commission, which will help us pay the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it going, just go to OnlineChickenSchool.com and click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. And we really appreciate that. Okay, our good listener Craig sent us a message and he says, Hi, Don and Susie. I am planning on getting some more meat birds. I'm going to get 25 Cornish Cross and 25 Pioneer chickens. I need to make two chicken tractors to house them. I was wondering if you have any ideas. Also, I asked the hatchery about what two breeds make the Pioneer chickens and they said they aren't told that information from their supplier. I would like to be able to duplicate this breed and hatch out my own hybrid pioneers. Do you have any suggestions? Well, Craig, thank you for sending us those questions. The first part is how would we build a chicken tractor to house broiler chickens? Uh, We personally have nine chicken tractors that we built every one of them ourselves, and we designed them for our laying hens. And even though we do raise some roosters for meat, they're heritage birds as well, and they live their lives very differently than the two broiler hybrids you mentioned. Mm -hmm. 
So we would definitely design their chicken tractor differently than the ones we built for our heritage birds. Well, first of all, broiler hybrids are so popular for meat because they grow really fast. Now, the fastest growing broiler is the Cornish Cross. And because they grow so fast, you're saving time and chicken feed raising them. And they also develop really tender meat. But the downside is they also have a reputation for weak legs and weak hearts. Mm. They grow the meat so fast that their body structure just isn't ready for it. Uh, the first design consideration for your broiler tractor is that you don't want to build this big, tall thing with places for them to roost high off the ground. Yeah, our heritage birds, they love getting up in high places, but that would actually be pretty dangerous for these big, heavy broilers with underdeveloped bone structures. I mean, when they jump down from a high place, they could really easily injure themselves or possibly even break their legs. And that is not a pretty sight. No. Okay, so that's design consideration number one. Keep everything low to the ground and no roost poles. The second design consideration is space. For our heritage birds, we use 10 square feet per bird as a rule of thumb, as you probably know. If you followed that rule here, you would need a chicken tractor that was 18 feet wide and 30 <laughs> feet long. I don't know if even our tractor would be able to move that one. I don't think so. You'd have to get the truck out there. <laughs> but luckily, broilers don't need nearly that much space. That's right. Broilers start out very small, just like any other chick. And when they do get to full size, they're probably not going to stay that way for very long if you kind of get my drift. Yeah, the whole point of raising fast-growing broilers is that you're going to butcher them when they get to full size. So they just don't need as much space. So those are the two big differences, height and space. Now, the good news is you really don't have to do much designing on your own. Well... I would say if we were raising broiler hybrids, we would look to Joel Salatin's pastured poultry pen for our inspiration. They're really easy to build, they're easy to move, and they have my favorite quality. They're cheap to build. What a surprise. <laughs> That's right, my friend. And if you're not familiar with Joel Salatin's pastured poultry pens, which is just fun to say, <laughs> just imagine a rectangle that's 10 feet wide, 12 feet long, and only two feet tall. And then just put a flat tin roof on top of it. And some of the sides are gonna be made out of that same roofing tin material to provide shelter. And some other sides are gonna be made out of mesh for ventilation. And if I remember right, he actually uses a chicken wire, which you know I'm not a big fan of. Mm -mm. So personally, I would use hardware cloth to keep the predators from eating them before I get a chance to. <laughs> Well, it's a pretty simple design. There's no roost poles, no nesting boxes, of course. So all you need inside, a feeder and a waterer. And when it's time to move it every day, it's really cool because he just slides a hand truck under one end to prop it up on the wheels. And then he grabs a handle on the other end and just pulls it to a new fresh spot of grass. Yeah, and in one 10 by 12 pen, you could house all 50 of your hybrid broilers. But you said you wanted to build two tractors, I'm guessing that's because you want to keep the two kinds separate from each other. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad idea. The Cornish Cross are likely to grow much faster than the Pioneers. So be a good idea to keep them separated. Yeah. And you could do that by building two smaller pastured poultry pens. You know, they'd be around 50 square feet each. So figure about two square feet per bird. And if they were each, say, five feet by 10 feet, they would be easier to move than the big, big pen and you'd keep them separated that way. Yep, and as far as building them, I would just build yourself a frame out of one by sixes or two by twos. The strength is gonna come from the box shape, so you don't need really heavy materials to make this work. Uh, plus, obviously, the lighter the materials, the easier it's gonna be to move. Uh, one thing you're gonna wanna consider is whether to use pressure-treated woods or non-treated woods. You know, they changed the whole pressure-treated wood formula a few years ago, but again, I get stuck on the fact that the manufacturers keep calling it less toxic materials. And I wish they said non-toxic materials. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of people use pressure-treated wood and they don't seem to have a problem. But if it were mine I was building, I would use the non-treated wood and I'd end up painting it, which is going to end up costing you a little bit more. But that's just the route I would go if it were my birds. 
Now, the second part of your question comes with a little bit of bad news. You asked how you can mate your own pioneer broilers. And we really get that desire. We've we've wanted to be able to do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons for raising chickens in the first place is having a little bit of independence from outside sources. Right. And that kind of gets spoiled if you have to keep ordering your broilers every time you want a batch from mm-hmm. somebody else. Yeah. Now, we're not familiar with pioneers specifically, but we're assuming that they're one of the many, many, many modern <laughs> hybrid broilers you find out there. And they just aren't something you can mate yourself. And here's the reason why. Let's start with the most famous or infamous broiler hybrid, the Cornish cross. It's a cross between a white Cornish rooster Mm -hmm. and a white Plymouth rock hen. And that is something you can do yourself, right? (laughs) Well, sort of. I mean, first finding a decent white Cornish rooster, that's not really going to be too easy. Now you can find every other feather pattern, but the white ones, I think the hatcheries keep them under lock and key. Yeah, they don't make them easy to find. Not that you can't find them, but you're going to have to dig and you're going to have to drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, The hatcheries themselves don't sell the white ones. Uh, Secondly, let's say you do find one or you decide to just use a Cornish rooster with a different feather pattern. The Cornish crosses you get from the hatchery aren't truly that simple cross anymore. They started there. But over the last decades, they've sort of introduced other bloodlines and they've done some, let's just say, refined mating in there. Mm -hmm. And in order to make their broilers into something bigger and faster growing, then you can mate yourself just by crossing those two birds. So it's, it's not quite as simple as it seems anymore. Right. So even if you were to find those two to mate together, to make your own Cornish cross, it's not going to really be like the ones you buy at the grocery store or even the ones that you would get from the hatchery. Now, let's talk about modern broilers. They're not a simple cross between this rooster of this breed and that hen of that breed. They typically use multiple breeds in very complex crosses. And the hatchery person you talked to was right. They keep a very tight lip on how they got them to where they are. Yeah, so unfortunately, you're going to have to keep going back to them to get your Pioneer or any other modern broiler birds if you want to get the same results. But, you know, for us, we're going to try mating different breeds we have here on the property together and maybe see if we can come up with our own really nice broiler breed. And 50 years from now, if we're still alive, (laughs) we'll we'll do it open source. If we find something, we'll share it. That's right. We'll let you know. All right, so a little bit of a mixed bag there, Craig. Uh, Probably good news on the coop building part and not so good news on the breeding part. But let us know what you end up doing with the coop and especially if you build it, send us some pictures. We'd like to see it. So that's the show for today. As always, thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider going over to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating over there like VT Fisherman did. Also, tell a friend and get them listening. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 37. That's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.